Today, I am joined by Keanu, who is a counselor in regional Australia. And Keanu, you contacted me after seeing some of the videos that I've posted and wanted to share some of your experiences around uh, authoritarian ideologies, both the woke mm. stuff and also the COVID, um, the, how COVID affected you personally and professionally. And um, I am really interested in hearing what that was like for you in Australia. And you said you've been a counselor for about eight years now, is that right? Um, in training for about eight years, uh, okay. in practice for about two to three. Um, yeah, like that. The, the way the industry is structured at the moment, it's a little difficult for counseling specifics, or that's what my training is in, is, you know, bachelors of counseling and postgraduate counseling. Mm -hmm. um, the way the industry is moving, it's actually a bit harder for um, that form of education to acquire work in Australia at the moment in di for different reasons. Um, amusingly, I was actually like, I was considering going up to my master's and this is something we can relate on because I remember you talking about how like on one hand you did want to go through with your qualifications but just the way the courses were structured how the content was handled there was that um a bit of reluctance and that's something i'm kind of running into as well but even looking at the um like when you look at the course offering on the university's website um under like masters of counseling they usually offer what job or career outcomes you can expect and so if, you know, and in this one, that it just says it's a great way to upskill. So even in oh, okay. the okay. offering, it doesn't state you or guarantee that having a master's of counseling would guarantee you work. Okay. Um, and you were explaining yeah. that that counseling in Australia is structured very differently than it is in the U.S. Mm. It's not regulated the same way, and mm -hmm. so you don't necessarily need certain certifications or licenses in order to work in counseling it's just about different training you were talking about training and counseling skills though and was that done through undergraduate or or postgraduate work yeah both um okay so yeah like in australia the mental health let's say so you know that's ranging from counseling psychotherapy psychiatry psychology that mm -hmm. field um the counseling side of it, like half of it, let's say, is unregulated. So mm -hmm. anyone in Australia, regardless of qualification, can technically call themselves a counselor and advertise as such. Um, whereas, you know, in comparison to psychiatrists and psychologists, those are registered terms. So, you know, even if you have studied, I think it's a Bachelor of Psychology and you've just graduated, you're still technically a provisional psychologist and okay. stating otherwise can lead you in professional hot water if mm -hmm. you misrepresent that. Mm -hmm. If you're not, you know, if, you know, it's up to the Board of Psychology to deem you, like, you know, uh, how appropriate your training is and what you can refer to yourself. Mm -hmm. Whereas in counselling, we can call ourselves, like anyone can call themselves a counsellor, psychotherapist, um, life coach, it okay. doesn't really matter but okay. with that said it that doesn't mean there isn't any training like there are universities that offer um a bachelor or master's or we have like graduate certificate sorry graduate certificate and graduate diploma which is the stage between um bachelors and masters so if okay. i got a graduate diploma that's half of my masters okay. and then i can just fold that into and do another two years and I'm completed sort of thing okay. um so like there are offerings and mm. there are courses and like there is that like you know national study standards for counseling courses not every course directly meets that 
but if they're offering it, they pretty like they try to get pretty close. And we also do have two governing bodies of counseling in Australia. Uh, I'm not going to name names just because you know there's two. Um, but so like yeah, and like they're advocating on the behalf of our profession to kind of get re-recognized um, in the industry overall as a legitimate like as a legitimate profession that we do have value to offer mm-hmm. um yeah you know, it comes to mind because my, my mentor um he was my counselor in primary school and then became like a bit of a family friend and um he ex- like my first exposure to therapy with that was like choice theory and reality therapy mm-hmm. which really like in, in a great way like shaped how i went going forward and absorbed um you know counseling theories and modalities going forward so mm-hmm. um admittedly it made me a little bit allergic to diagnosis because of that um but i think for the better but he i think he had less training than i did um mm. maybe diploma level which is like half of a bachelor's and he had a mm. like he was great like i i had a great experience with him as a therapist he had you know he worked in schools worked in um not-for-profit organizations had a long career um was head of the Glasser Institute, which is the choice theory like um, representing body in Australia. He was head mm-hmm. of that. Like he did fine mm-hmm. with less than what I have. And then mm-hmm. that's why I went down the path. Oh, this seems fun. This seems accessible. And then as I went down, I'm like, I maybe have made a bad choice because the industry seems to hate me. Oh. Um, so that's why <laughs> that's just me being vitriolic. But um, I'm a little bit bitter about it. But um, so that's why like in. February 2021, right in the middle of COVID, I decided to start my own private counseling service. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, like my motto was, I'm sick of asking for permission, mm-hmm. um, like as in applying for jobs. Like there, there were some counseling opportunities, sure, mm-hmm. but they're either rare or there's competition or the people hiring are strange. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and like for me, like counseling is or therapy as much as, as, as much of a hobby as it is a career mm. like even in the times that I wasn't studying or that I deferred or I wasn't sure if it was what I wanted to do I was all I was always studying it I was always reading about it mm. like I just genuinely so it's a really passion like for it. you absolutely and so from that I'm like it's not about like I you know want to go in and make money I just want to do the thing mm-hmm. you know and so I was just like, I'm, you know, I'm sick of all these roadblocks. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Um, you know, it, it sucks. It's the, you know, a, can be the bit of a harder path, but, um, you know, I'd rather get started and see how I go than not. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, it, it sounds like um, it is an interesting, the lay of the land there is so different mm-hmm. than here. And you yeah. have a lot of different options within the applied psychology fields, but mm-hmm. um and I, I'll just point this out really quickly because I'm hearing it. But right before we started recording, you had a flurry of birds just kind of go crazy outside of your window. And I was kind of hearing them. And I'm I'm picturing, as you were describing them, these like brightly colored, beautiful birds mm-hmm. as I'm hearing the little chirping. and Bright, Brightly colored, distressed birds. <laughs> distressed, <laughs> yeah. Well, they were, yeah, pretty distressed, it sounded like. But yeah, I, I was, um, I wasn't sure, like, you know, prior to recording, like, we're, we're, we're trying to start it off. And then I hear this bang on the side of my house. 
And I'm like, I can't decide if it's like a giant bird. Like, cause like sometimes they fly in the windows. Yeah. But we also have like I've been hearing like cat fights in the street, so mm. I wouldn't be surprised if like a cat just launched itself into the side of my house trying to get a bird. So, <laughs> um, well, well, that's yeah. the little entertaining, cute chirping noise in the background. If anybody hears that, yeah. um, Australia is the land of death, don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard it called that. But... Well, yeah, because like they say, like we have like snakes and spiders, oh, spiders and crocodiles and. Stuff. and drop bears and stuff so. dangerous wildlife yeah yeah and cats so yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you said that you decided to start a private practice because mm. it's difficult to um, find work within the other mm. the other clinical options or or mm. structures that are available Pathways, yeah. does that does that involve just the yeah. is that about the scale of licensing or the scale of um sort of buying or is that about ideological issues that you're finding um, in the work a bit of both um okay. so predominantly the licensing um okay. again because of the recognition that um what, what we call allied health professionals get so that can be uh, mental health nurses so mm. uh yeah occupational therapists uh, registered psychologists things like that because of the recognition that they get they get access to different fundings they get mm -hmm. um insurance coverage things mm -hmm. like that which make it a lot more uh appealing to um these organizations that employ them as well as potentially a bit cheaper um because you know part of the salary can be supplemented by um I, again i'm i don't know if the policy down the detail but that you know um that's how i can imagine it mm -hmm. can happen is that like rather than um the client for example like you know they can access the mental health service for free or cheaper mm -hmm. because of that Insurance financial coverage whatnot, but yeah. the company is still able to pay so rather than you know trying to navigate like how expensive um you know uh mental health treatment can be for people or, or for companies to pay for that um salary um but on top of that though like the industry has moved into somewhat ideological but it doesn't it's not necessarily just the human human services like even when i was pondering going into more manual labor which i'm not skilled for but like you know sometimes you get doubtful um there's pretty much a dei statement in every job advert for most right? major companies wow um, and what is that like there what is the dei is it the same kind of thing you're hearing about here or does it have a different i mean it, it's I, usually you... just it's usually just a blurb at the bottom of uh -huh. the job advertisement. Like, you know, um, you know, this company is dedicated to diversity and inclusive practices. We encourage, you know, certain minorities or indigenous to apply to these jobs. Um, or it could be, uh, especially like in the mining industry, like it's very, it's much easier to get in if you're a woman than it is a man, just because I guess it is a majority male. So it's, yeah, and so yeah, if, if you're an unskilled female, uh, you know, but you have you get the appropriate tickets and um things like that to start with, they'll bring you on, not a problem. Well, there's and, a lot of affirmative action then, in in a sense, and I and uh, as we're talking about um prior to recording, like like I, I was thinking about how I would you know talk about the more ideological aspects and representations in Australia, and that. At least in my own personal experience and exposure, yes, it is there, and yes, I have experienced it, but it's not to the same level of intensity as 
you might have heard mm. online and okay. not to say that that doesn't happen on the personal scale i'm just speaking from my own perspective in that yes it's there but like you know some of these companies it's just they're big enough that you know it, it looks better to have it yeah um like the company i work for at the moment as well has one you don't see it in the just workplace feels like really. an obligatory statement that's just being made yeah. mm-hmm. but on the and so when i was thinking about it, i'm like it's and even if we go into my more um educational experiences i would have to describe it more like being more on the personal level um it's the individuals it's the student clubs it's mm. the lecturers themselves bringing mm-hmm. like introducing this like um value system into mm-hmm. uh you know in, into things rather than it being purely from like hr down it okay. might be like you know maybe the university or these institutions want to support this um you know as we know like these pardon me these um like it's a bit of like two sides of a coin in the way because you know i'm sure like we can all be sort of sympathetic to mm-hmm. what you know uh sort of work or dei ideology is trying to achieve mm-hmm. um you know i think you know yeah if certain minorities or women or whatever feel like they you know are culturally shunned for trying to access certain things that you know opening that up and showing an air of you know welcomeness and normalcy like i don't have a problem with that like just sending the signal out going hey like you can apply here just like everyone else that's fine like okay cool but when it's when it pushes into more of a, a corridor or the more overt thing like i can't help but feel it's a, a sense of tokenization as well where it's like do you really care or do you just want to look good mm-hmm. um because yeah I, I you know i you know i want everyone to have access to whatever they're passionate about if they're equipped to to do that that's fine um you know like you know we're relevant i suppose yeah um but yeah so yeah like to i guess to reiterate like i yeah i find it comes in more on that individual level and then maybe if it does make it into the system proper or through the hr again it's might be that individual person up the top that's doing it or the platitude sound sympathetic and they just want to support that and they don't really know proverbially the trojan horse that they're letting in mm-hmm. um something in other if you don't mind me breaking in i, I absolutely you know please. you mentioned that in your trainings you actually mm-hmm. had uh, daryl wing Su was a part of your curriculum that, yeah, for, that for surprised an hour, me. thankfully oh okay yeah. just to, for well, a well, little bit so it just well, surprised well, me well, because he's a, it's an American, it's very American context, mm. you know, it's a, he's okay. a, a writing from, I, I thought, you know, the mm. experience of an Asian American mm. looking at mm. what mm. he perceives as white culture, mm. white American culture, and this blind spot as mm. you kind of, you know, you read his white identity development model, he writes about white people having this, this blind spot about mm. their own whiteness, and he's kind of the the major voice in at least in counselor training here mm. as far as i can mm. tell mm. It, but that seems u.s specific mm-hmm. in it and so it surprised me that they're using the same material mm. to train australian counselors and did you feel mm. like it was a good fit for the experience that you were having there or did, did it well did it cross over well or the interesting thing is it was quite unexpected um like 
throughout my counseling training, there's always discussions about ethics and how to treat, you know, minorities and how to, you know, be more sensitive to the things we're likely to encounter in our profession. And that was never pandering. It was just, you know, very legitimate conversations of things we should consider. And even when it came to Daryl Wing Sue, like he, it was, again, going back to what I was saying about the individual, it was mostly introduced by the lecturer. It wasn't actually technically part of the course material. It was just something that she put together and, um, this lecture was substituting for my our main lecture at the time for that class mm. and and again even on a personal level I didn't have anything against her she was perfectly lovely to be around and she, she seemed to have a really decent reputation within the school you know for better or worse um, so on a personal level I couldn't slide it it was just and like the rest of the course content was fine and then it was just oh by the way we're gonna just have a look at this and she and even the presentation of it was like you know for example uh, you know, with, with with these sort of modern topics of these issues, you know, discussing white privilege or whatever, like not to say that it should be validated, but it's, it, I guess even coming from a counseling perspective, we might encounter people with those values or expectations. It's worth you know having you know, having a dialogue around how we address these topics, um, which you know I'll, I'll flesh out in a bit. That, but you know, it was just kind of dropped in the middle of the class and no dialogue or debate was encouraged from that but input wasn't encouraged either it was just here it is and react how you will mm. um but it was mostly just like i don't know i just found it stupid um that so like all it was was um a slide of a daryl wingsu video on white privilege and I'm not really sure how to describe it, but it was like a talking head of him, like introducing the concepts or reacting to the other parts of the video. And then the other half was, uh, I think like an interview style. So like um, one of his employees or someone was going around talking to just regular people. Like um, I think it was like three or four white people and then three or four minorities of different descent. So like I could have been Latino or, you know, um, Asian American, African, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. started off with the 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 white people and the question i think it was just the question of like you know what does it mean to be white what do you think about your whiteness and pretty much unanimously each white person like you know to put it in their language it was just like i don't give it that much priority i don't really think about race or i aspire to be race uh like race neutral or race blind i just don't care like you know um although i think they're asking about you know how do you feel about like non-white people and they're like i just it doesn't bother me like i don't put that much value on those parts of our identity there was and then they did the, the video did finish up on you know someone you would expect to have a bit more of an offensive uh attitude was like a 60 year old construction worker like blue collar really rough around the edges um you know not the most eloquent speaker mm -hmm. and his response again like taking it at face value could have been seen as insensitive and in, you know and in some perspectives it is but if you actually really look at the meaning he just said like i don't have a problem with who you are as long as you put in the effort and pull your weight like whether that's in the work or in society just come in and do your bit if you go along to get along and you know you do like you do what you're supposed to do i don't care who you are mm -hmm. and th that was twisted to mean like he is assuming that minorities don't have this ethic or how are incapable that, of having so. how was that drawn from that 
do you think? Um, so the, the interesting thing about like, so again, highlighting around uh, the white person part of this video, it would cut back to Daryl Wingsuit offering his analysis on what they said. Mm. So if, you know, one office worker, you know, she was saying, I just don't think about it. And then he would respond, see her, you know, her white privilege is mm. so potent that she has the ability to not think about this. This is making her insensitive to the problems of minorities. Well, like that's not what she said. Yeah. And then, the, so then the same logic was applied to when there was that more insensitive perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I was looking at the, you know, I was just like, like some of them like gasped because they're like, oh, that is really mean. Mm. And I'm like, and, and it, but it got me to thinking about our responsibility as counseling professionals. And, the, and again, the bittersweet thing about my exposure to that was that I got a lot from it. Not to say that I learned from the material, but the thoughts I had in reaction to that was still very enlightening. Where I'm like, actually, like, what are we supposed to do? Like, what is our ethical and moral obligation as mental health professionals toward people who might be aligned with something that is what that we either perceive as offensive or that is offensive? Like, like my example wasn't, I don't know if this is video appropriate, but it's not that bad. But it's like, what if you had, you know, a middle-aged, like ma- male client? Everything about him presented as pretty normal, like you know, great grandfather, great father, great son, and you know, he says to you, like you know, he's in tears. He's like sitting on your couch. He's in tears, and he's saying, you know, the other night when I was at the Klan rally, mm. me and my friend Bob got into a really heated argument, and we've been like friends for you know fifteen years, and I'm really afraid I'm going to lose him. Like, you know, because like, I don't know how we're going to reconcile our, you know, our differences. What do you, what would a therapist focus on? Mm. Would you pause the record and say, wait, you just said clan rally. Mm -hmm. Or would you see, you know, or would you address helping him reconcile his issues with his friend? Mm. You know, and I found that, yeah, like, like that's, and I'm grateful I had that line of thinking, but, um, and again, feel free to butt in because like, but the other half of the video when it was discussing minorities again this is the thing that like i guess frustrated me as well when he interviewed them about i think i can't remember what it, if he said what it, does it mean like what does whiteness mean to them or i think it would have been like what does your insert cultural background mean to you something like that mm-hmm. uh, it was you know eight years ago now so forgive me but each of their reactions was something along the lines of you know uh putting it you know, illustratively it could have been um being mexican means being oppressed by the white man okay so like it was the minority's responses that was actually actually speaking negatively against another group mm-hmm. and but also i thought like when it, you know, the, the term whiteness doesn't mean the same thing as black mm-hmm. like black has you know at least in the american context has a very specific reference to a type of person in culture like it's more of a linguistic thing than it is a cultural descriptor because you know if you broke it down like let's say you said like minority caucasian country as in what does it mean to be australian what does it mean to be european what does it mean to be british what does it mean to be american that's a very different question even mm-hmm. though you're still addressing a minority like majority caucasian population mm-hmm. then we can give you that answer like if you said rather than what does it mean to be white versus what does it mean to be australian they can answer that we do mm-hmm. care about our culture um and you know we do have a cultural identity but we don't think of it as white we think of it as australian mm-hmm. and so it's like saying what does it mean to be black that 
at least from my understanding, it seems to have more of a cultural implication. That's where I'm like, it's a linguistic play, mm-hmm. not not a conversation about skin tone. You know, that's really interesting. I think that's a really I haven't heard anybody address it that that mm-hmm. directly. That there is because that it does seem like there are, I guess, ethnic subcultures within mm-hmm. any. Uh, any majority culture so if you if you're looking at American culture you might have like I've known people who are very involved in their German heritage societies mm. or in Scottish heritage go to the um, you know the the Highland Games and celebrate their thing and have their little you know connection to yeah. their their clan or whatever it is and and so if you ask somebody about their heritage they might have more or less tie to something that's either pre-american or from from wherever their family came from mm. or american based but mm-hmm. but that's just within like white american yeah. people and then yeah. within other ethnic backgrounds you, you might find people who are really connected with um like their their own ethnic heritage as well mm-hmm. as their sense of being american mm. but white in general is such a broad descriptor that it encompasses so many different subcultures and subgroups that it it mm-hmm. almost feels meaningless. Yeah, and to I guess to add to that point, I suppose, and this is just me mm-hmm. waxing philosophical. I'm not I I don't know if this is true or not, but again, it's because it it's very easy to you know say white in contrast to black, and the black is kind of implied white in contrast to everyone else. You know, white in contrast mm-hmm. to X minority, but it's like well, not everyone's black. You know, like, you know, people have different gradations of skin tone, but we don't have, you know, color descriptors necessarily, unless you, you know, like are being, um, you know, playfully insensitive, let's say, like, you know, you you can if you're creative, but we don't typically, like, casually speak like that, Mm -hmm. you know, like, whereas black, like I said, like, that's very much adult, like, even in Indigenous Australia, we don't say black. Okay. Well, like not typically. They might say, you know, Aboriginal or Indigenous, but we don't typically use Black. Oh, they might, but I don't hear it that frequently. Well, if or if it yeah. does, it, it it's adopted from American culture. Okay, okay. Um, that's interesting. So, and I I was just talking with a friend not that long ago who was informing me that even within Black American culture, there are definitely subcategories mm. and divides, and they certainly isn't a monolithic culture like. Mm. Um, like it's presented you know it's just yeah. and and now i feel like there's this i i almost feel reflexively um aff- not a, i don't know yeah. offended isn't the right word but it feels strange that they're pushing this whole concept mm. of bipoc yeah yeah which yeah. is like here it's black indigenous and people of color so it's this mm-hmm. like this acronym that's being used to just mean not white mm-hmm. it, it's just that's all it means it just means not yeah. a white person but but mm-hmm. they present it as if it's this it's this mm. separate culture which it mm. absolutely isn't you can't group mm. all people who are not white under one mm. acronym and have that be something that's meaningful yeah yeah and and i think so that's what like you're saying like there's you know that you know for even in like white america let's say or black america let's say mm-hmm. you know like like you're alluding to there is the american identity like if someone might someone might have italian heritage or greek heritage but you know, have mixed parents or, you know, present as white, let's say, mm-hmm. and they might have some, you know, personal value towards, you know, being American and being whatever heritage that they come from. 
and the, and like you're saying, like you know, there is this black culture, but then you're saying there's also the subcultures and the sub um, heritages in that as well. And mm -hmm. so it's like, well, yeah, you know, again, it's that blurring of the lines, or you know, like that panning in of even if these minorities do have these differentiations, the I don't know broader culture, the broader dialogue is kind of going like it is linguistically penning them into the same group even mm. even if they and like, like i said like like some of that verbiage is bleeding over into other countries in the sense of like you know it could it's more of a cultural adoption or like a you know pop cultural adoption rather than some you know a genuine reference to self and so and but when, when you break it down like that it's like are we talking about skin tone or culture because mm -hmm. you know even like if you want to go, you know, back to Caucasian, even, you know, putting, uh, and again, I don't know if this is true, but I'm sure, like, you know, British versus German or Italian or, like, however you want to, like, cut it, like, they don't always get along, or they all have their, like, you know, you you could blend two very distinct, um, you know, Caucasian cultures. I'm sure they would find something to fight over, mm -hmm. um, just because like something in their heritage is different. Mm -hmm. So. And, but I think it like it might be that blurred line that they're playing with, which is you know it's again because like it's easy to say what does it mean to be white, but white doesn't imply culture. That's why we can say I don't think about it mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. we don't we that isn't how we think. That's about not ourselves. how we think about it. Yeah, that's yeah. a really because great. It, it doesn't point. imply heritage. So no, that's mm -hmm. that's it's really interesting. I I'm glad that you brought it up, and I'm glad you framed mm -hmm. it that way because I think that that's an important thing to to highlight. Mm -hmm. And in terms of in terms of the the ideological uh, mm. bent that things are going or the way things are going right now, you've got the the racial influence like we've been discussing. But have you also been experiencing the gender stuff there as well? The gender mm -hmm. ideology is that coming into the the counseling mm. field, or is it just something you're observing mm. in the culture at large? Um, again, I can't like if it's like I was saying before, if it's culture at large, it's typically on a like individual basis still like it i wouldn't say it's in the dominant discourse like it's shaping the culture it's again it's more of a bleed over um that you know it could it, it for example like um not to get into the whole like u.s election stuff but our media spoke more about your presidents than they have been speaking about our country's leaders wow really like, most like yeah most of our like you know even uh, we have like sky news which is our like they're trying to model themselves after like your Fox news and they act as such. And a lot of the discourse is either um, like sort of pseudo anti SJW stuff on their end. Like they'll, mm -hmm. they will poke, you know, poke fun at it that way. And then the other media outlets are pretty much like uh, vibe wise are very reminiscent of yours in a sense. Maybe mm -hmm. their delivery or style is different, but you know, the spirit's roughly the same, but again, like our media can't shut up about Trump and Biden. Wow, but I I on a regular basis forget who the prime minister of Australia is. Wow, yeah, that's like, really I have no interesting. Idea, I I have no idea what he did this week, but I know what Biden did. <sighs> and and like and I, I'm more you know I'm more soaked in American culture than otherwise you know through the podcasts and videos I watch like you know it's predominantly American, so I do get information through our watches. But I'm saying like Australian media talks more about you guys than us. Wow, and I, I have no and idea. I think yeah, and I think through that, you know, whatever's happening in your culture is bleeding into ours. Like even mm -hmm. with the Black Lives Matter rallies, they tried to do that here. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, like we can use 
that international experience to open up a dialogue of like, okay, that's not working over there by the looks of it. Let's look at our own system and see if like, you know, is there, can that prompt a dialogue here? Mm -hmm. But rather they went straight to police brutality. I'm like, we don't do it the same way. Not to say Mm -hmm. like brutality doesn't happen, but we don't have the same problems. This isn't the same country. Mm-hmm. We need to have conversations relating to what we're going through, even if there is maybe legitimacy in that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying there isn't, but we're not America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even like I um, I was getting involved in local politics in my regional town because I was thinking about potentially stepping up one day if needed. And I wanted to get exposure through volunteering through the um, the party that we have at the moment. And and like and we're, we're going around door knocking to you know um, to drum up votes and assess interest and that sort of thing. And even in those conversations, it was, oh, had you voted for Trump, I wouldn't be voting for you. And I'm like, I get that, but there's nothing to do with that politics. Like yeah, that's, that's ideal, really like that's values based, that's ideological, but it's got nothing to do with us. So yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. And, and I don't know what that tells you about things. Well, I I don't know either. I guess I have to think about that. But that's that does surprise me a little bit that that you're getting things that way. Well, and but it again, so many of these things seem like they're everywhere all at once. You know, at least Mm -hmm. in the Western world, they're all kind of Mm -hmm. cropping up at the same time, which makes it seem like there's some centralized movement happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And another area you and you brought this up so i'm glad you brought it up but was covid mm-hmm. with the covid regulations mm-hmm. and that's another mm-hmm. area where we saw this these sort of lockdowns and mm-hmm. and rigid restrictions mm-hmm. coming in in all these countries at the same time and everybody was responding to it the same way and mm-hmm. in such a very mm-hmm. different way than it than any disease had ever been handled previously yeah. and mm-hmm. from here the images that i was mm-hmm. seeing of what mm. was happening in Australia seemed particularly mm. alarming. It seemed like it mm. was extremely heavy-handed. And what mm. was the experience that you had of that? Um, some of that is true. Um, you know, from from the Australian point of view, it was frustrating sometimes having American commentary on in our situation, um, especially from the more, you know, moderate or conservative side that you know, pro-gun, that sort of thing. Because like the big argument that kept coming up was, well, if you know, if only you hadn't gotten rid of your guns. I'm like, well, New York isn't doing so well, and I haven't seen a shot fired to protect them. Like, yeah. in like, I'm like, and again, I don't know how true this is, but I was thinking, like, you know, what there's like 52 states in America, um, so each of those is you know different populations, different cultures, different governing bodies or systems. We have six or seven, mm-hmm. like, it, meaning like you know, even just purely statistically, the odds of having you know, someone breaking from that mold mm-hmm. is low because you know it's you know like we have federal government which you know oversees the country and then we have state government which is you know one representative in their respective party that oversees the whole state of each you know state and territory in mm-hmm. australia so you know uh new south wales victoria western australia adelaide you know th- those sorts of things so like and like these are quite big land masses um you know like queensland itself takes up nearly like a quarter or a third of a country western mm-hmm. australia is like the butt end of half of the country like these are huge um you know you, you could probably divide them up if you really wanted to um so yeah just like statistical average like even if we did have guns or whatever like we can't like we don't we can't really have that kind of influence mm-hmm. um but on the other hand like 
you know, on one hand, yeah, you did have both sides of the coin. Like, oh, I guess, like, all gradients on both sides of the coin. So you had, yeah, and and even myself, like, in the very, very early days, um, you know, early 2020, when this was coming down, I was more sympathetic to the extreme measures in the sense of we don't know what this thing is. We, at the time, didn't seem to be able to test for it. We didn't seem to be able to treat for it. And we don't really know the severity. So it might be wise to not like run away into a hole, but just to slow down and watch this thing. Because, you know, if it's, you know, your eyes exploding, then, okay, we're going to have to react very quickly to like get this thing under control. Um, so like, let, yeah, okay. Like if this is a genuine, let, let us slow down. That seems appropriate. Like, mm -hmm. like that's how I kind of act in my personal life anyway. So maybe there's a projection there, but, and, you know, and, but over time, like that urgency went away and then mm -hmm. and then it was the contrast of like if this is about health and wellness I, I get it like okay you know like we need to take care of the elderly we need you know support structures in place certain services are going to uh, struggle so how do we you know supplement those how do we you know like because you know whether like because we have had other emergencies like you know cyclones we have fire seasons so yeah. like things light on fire and like you know, people lose houses we have floods and so, yeah, like when an emergency happens, you need a system. I get it. I don't have a problem with that at all. And, you know, and in those times we need to come together. So we had people on that side of, we're just trying to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And that, and that's what made sense. And it wasn't really reactionary. Then you did have the more do it or else mm -hmm. on, on that side of things. And then counter to that, you had the stuff it i'll do what i want like mm -hmm. you know don't tell me what to do i'll figure it out you know the more libertarian side and then you have the extreme of that which is the more hyperbolic and conspiratorial side of that mm -hmm. which again sounds the same but the motivations are different mm -hmm. um and for like for us like there, there were even in my own town but like in different cities i'm not sure if it was broadcast on the news like we did have pretty major protests like millions in the bigger cities um like you know taking up you know entire um you know entire streets and and this was protesting um, you know, the lockdown measures the the lockdowns okay yeah. mm. and the whole thing was just give us a choice it wasn't mm -hmm. say like some i'm sure some of it was ended but that was more around you know business is dying or i can't afford my rent or my kids are going insane or you know very legitimate reasons as to why like look i can't just keep doing this but a lot of it was just hey give us that choice mm -hmm. that was it that like a lot of them like if you want to you know i i you know, if you're, if it's important to your business that you have the, um, like we, we had, um, the QR code check-ins. So, uh, you know, if you, if you're going into restaurants, you'd have to check in through the government app, um, as the way you've been. So for contact tracing, mm. um, then it became, there were some, um, uh, vaccine passports a little bit. So, um, like some businesses, uh, and employment had that, like a lot of people either, capitulated to maintain their employment or lost their jobs or some of them got really lucky and played chicken and when the like you know like the the pressure was you know coming up to like that final day enough people were just like i'm just not gonna and the uh like larger you know organizational body was like oh, okay we'll just require it from you people but you're fine mm. and they were able to dodge that bullet so, so there were a um, number of people who were able to resist the vaccine requirements yeah. To, to varying degrees um mm -hmm. but even like on the independent level like i had you know for example like psychologists and th this is where i was lucky with the deregulation of counseling is that mm -hmm.
because my industry isn't recognized, I can do what I want. Like, there's no one that can stop me aside from like the more broader policies. But even like friends of mine who were massage therapists or mm -hmm. kinesiologists or whatever had to shut down because they had to prove it. Like, you know, their governing bodies were saying, you know, you need this or else. Um, so even like people on that more independent scale couldn't willfully mm -hmm. resist. Mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, and oh, there was like, again this frustrating thing where when when the vaccine mandates were starting to roll out it came out that the le levels of government didn't face mandates and oh, everyone wow. was pushed yeah and everyone was pushing back going like well if we're mandated why aren't you yeah and their response was oh but we're getting it it's like that's not the point <laughs> that's not yeah Is, that's not the point is that people want a choice yeah it's like well, well they got one they got a choice like yeah, yeah. Uh, it, like I mean, not to say that they did or didn't get it. Like they might have still believed in it, but they weren't mandated. But yeah. everyone else was. Yeah, it's um, a huge difference. So, yeah, and, and it was little things like that that started turning me around. And again, I'm like, you know, if it's important to you, I get it. But you know, coming from a uh, you know sort of psychological background, it you know it's it's kind of like you know flagging abuse in you know a client interaction. Whereas like mm -hmm. once you start hearing you know like that rhetoric of do it or else or you know, that coercion and those sort of tactics. I'm like, I wouldn't drink a glass of water under these circumstances mm -hmm. because I don't know what you mean. Mm -hmm. um, like, I, 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 if you want me to do it this badly and you're unable to have a dialogue about it, if you're unable to genuinely convince me of your situation, I don't care what you're offering me, even if it's a million dollars. Like, if some, like, you know, like, we, we, we've all seen Squid Game. Hey, do you want to make some money? Oh, it turns out I'm, like, killing people for it. I don't know what's tied to this thing, even if it seems like a great idea um yeah i'm not and you know maybe again that's more or less my personality but i'm like i'm not prepared to walk into that unknown um mm -hmm. and that, that that's when i started like you know taking that step back going well like there's more sides to well-being than we're like than we're considering here mm -hmm. and if and i you know if you want the responsibility of protecting people that includes that mm -hmm. and if i'm not seeing it then i'm not like i can't respect that like even if i wanted to mm -hmm. um but but you know that said like you know I, in small towns like it was a really big time of gathering like we had um mm -hmm. you know even in small towns big cities it wasn't just protests it was people coming together and just talking about what the hell are we going to do like you know are we going to run for local government are we gonna like there was the amount of like homeschooling and uh like diy and learning to garden and all these like small systems pro like, popped up from mm -hmm. that and alternative ways of being so you're seeing and, a, a growth in a community there that's centered mm -hmm. around um, mm -hmm. independent action yeah. and thought and, and like you're saying before actually like when it comes to the more ideological stuff that sort of everywhere all at once mm -hmm. weirdly enough the reaction to that is happening as well as in like you know the whole homesteading homeschooling libertarianism splitting off and doing your own thing again that choice isn't necessarily ideological like that you know people doing that might not off the top of their head know but they just look at it and go, eh, this isn't working mm -hmm. um and so like even on that side of it as well it is starting to be more universal as, mm -hmm. you know, on that side do you um, see that as being a counter ideology or do you see it as being mm -hmm. some kind of a pendulum swing or a cultural correction yeah. of something that where we've we've seeded too much or how do you see that uh well I, I do have a way of putting it, but it's more like it 
conspiratorial is not quite the right word, but like you know, I'm borrowing from you know Carlin's collective unconscious type mm-hmm, thing. Because mm-hmm. um, the way I understood that, and someone might scream at me for this, but is you know, thinking of the collective unconscious in the same way we think of weather systems. Mm-hmm. So you know, in that it takes different you know like d- different temperature, different wind, different locations to all come together to result in the larger weather pattern that happens. So with the collective unconscious, it's not just like everyone's upset, therefore you get war. It's some you know different patches of people like in in the society or in in the community are reacting in a way like a, a weather system that is going to combine together to get an outcome like on the collective scale. And I can, and I find when you see it like that, you can almost like, like we do with like weather, we can almost predict, oh, okay, you have resistance over here. You have neutrality over here. You have this ideological ideology over here. You have this resist, um, this aggressor over here. Like, you're kind of like, um, like a family intervention. Like, you know, if you have it on like an individual scale, what happens when these people live in the same house? Mm-hmm. Oh, like bam, 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 bam. You get different expressions of that tension. The same seems to be able to happen on a collective scale. And from that, I borrowed, like, is it possible that we have, like, a psychic immune system? In that, like, and, and again, this is more of me just, uh, like, waxing philosophical. Um, in that, like, you know, we, you know, because we have what I call, like, these messiah figures, whether that's Jesus or Gandhi or Martin Luther, and, you know, but they always come at the, like, the pivotal moment. Like, when, like, you know, when tensions are high, then someone emerges and creates a revolution that changes the culture going forward. And ironically, they'll get assassinated. Um, so I'm like, but like, if the collective unconscious is, unconsciousness is a thing, then would it stand to reason that it would also have a, a, an immune reaction? As in, if if there is a, sort of a, 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 as Gad said puts it, an ideological pathogen entering in the culture, yeah, the body itself might be infected, but there will be an, an immune response as well. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you know, even if, like, in speculating evolutionarily, like, we do have an instinct to survive. So, if, you know, if it was a foreign invader or a foreign culture coming in on a more tribal sense, we would resist that because it's not just about we disagree with you, it's the threat of our survival and our way of life is different. And I think that may, that, that you know, that has a potential, potentiality to be true at the very least on a personality level, I think. So that's why, you know, it's not just, it may not be groups, but it's groups of individuals mm-hmm. um, that, you know, like, um, you know, like, I, you know, the, the, the question I was asking, and I know you've been asked as well, which is what made you different? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, why did you react the way you did versus someone who, like someone who didn't? Because when you put yourself in their shoes, you're like, actually, that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. if you saw the world that they, as they did, like, that reaction is appropriate. Mm-hmm. So why don't I see it that way? You know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, your no, that's fascinating. I really, I like that framework. I had a conversation with somebody else who talked about a social immune system as well as you, mm. you used a slightly different frame, a psychic immune system and talking mm. about the collective unconscious, but, but just being a part of bigger movements in a way. And it, mm-hmm. what's interesting is that that's that part of what, what I and many people are objecting to in mm-hmm. the social justice ideology is the collectivism inherent mm, in it mm, but it's mm. this particular kind of collectivism which is as i see it sort of sort of a sociological aggregation of 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 data and statistics mm-hmm. and then a, an attempt to distill that down to the individual level which is very mm-hmm. reductive because it loses mm. 
a lot of what it means to be an individual. So it's like an applied, I, you know, so social justice ideology to me seems like applied demography, really. It's like, mm-hmm. here's the demographics and we're going to apply this down to the individual level and make assumptions about individuals based on here on our study of, of demography. But mm-hmm. what, what you're discussing and what this, this idea of a collective or a, um, a, a psychic or social immune system response, mm-hmm. immune response mm-hmm. in terms of people who are speaking out against it or forming mm-hmm. different groups around um, countering this is still a collective movement, but it's a collective mm. movement of a very different type. And mm. and I think that that's interesting. I don't really have a question so much as just no, like, no, no. what I, do you think about that? Oh, I actually did think about this. Okay, <laughs> I, cool. I, I, uh, was speaking about before the recording that like, you know, some of the writing I did and one of the primary questions or the themes of question I was having to myself, which is, um, and not to put you on the spot, but did you get the Roller May quote that I sent? Which what what I'm sorry what was it? The the court by Roller May. Oh, um, I sent oh, an email. I think so, but will you say it again? I I would love to if I can find it. Um, uh, it's just kind of lengthy, but um, basically, what he was talking about um because I can't really remember a word for word was, um, like I think the going back to therapy as well, like the professional the potential for professional naivety for the therapist to just be a representation of the dominant culture in itself could be a threat to the client by, you know, because their intervention could then like try to intentionally or unintentionally persuade that individual back into the the collective. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it's something like, you know, the damage we can do to humanity as therapist is precisely by doing just what we're doing that's so um, interesting because it's like being an agent of of cultural conformity yeah really and, and and the question i spun from that was well where do we just like draw the dis uh where, where do we find that distinction because mm-hmm. on one hand like you know it, it's, it's like group orientation versus individuation swinging too far either way has its own individual set of problems mm-hmm. um but as therapists, it's like, what then? Ba- like, what what then is the basis we draw our ethics from, in order to know when it is appropriate to encourage rebellion versus conformity? Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, like as I say, like the sane person in an insane society is perceived insane. And if we and if we are an agent of that insane society, that like societal de- degradation, then we're not helpful but if we are able to just like if we're able to tell when the society is healthy and when it's not then it is okay to push for the 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 majority and i'll see if i can find the writing because i might help frame it up a bit more yeah and if i can also include that quote beneath the video in the in the notes if people want to read it um so i wrote in this field of psychotherapy at least in some stages of our work there needs to be a space for subjectivity, relativism, and deconstruction, and quote-unquote personal truth. Um, as part of the notion, meeting the client where they're at. In order to empathize with another and gain enough perspective of their thoughts, perceptions, and values requires some benefit of the doubt that that, that what they tell us is true or feels true enough to manifest issues or behaviors. 
However, Roller May speaks of the damage that can be done to a person or to a society by merely doing quote unquote precisely what we're doing. Um, you know, meaning if we're absent-minded, uh, you know, agents of the, the majority as therapists. Um, as in, if the therapist is too conformist to the dominant culture, they risk keeping their clients submerged in the proverbial toxic water. As the culture may very well itself be insane, and those who appear sane in insane times are themselves deemed insane. So therefore, the question arises, from what moral or ethical system are we as therapists basing our discernment on? Uh, how do we know when it when it is sorry? How do we know when it is appropriate to go along and get along, and when it is appropriate to encourage rebellion? Yeah, sorry. wow, that is. I think that's such a big question. It's such a, mm. a a huge question. I've been. It seems like it keeps coming back to that in a lot of ways. With I mm. think this this whole postmodern mm. questioning of everything and and moral relativity we're mm. as a relatively secular society we're mm. we've lost this religious moral underpinning and so then mm. what then are your morals based on what mm. and and it's not nothing but mm. what is it and there's that questioning mm. of that and i think that's it's a very interesting state to find well, oneself think, in again going back to like you know speaking personally from our profession however like it's one mm. thing to you know, you can, not to say it doesn't come with its consequences, but you can afford to be secular if you're an accountant, you know, because it's just money and whatever, like, you know, that's still a tangible thing. But our job as therapists is to interact with society and the human condition. Like, again, mm -hmm. Roland May speaks of when you, no, no, it was Jung, actually. Um, He said that um, when you speak to the individual, you're speaking to the collective because, it, you know, the individual's in a sense, one neuron, of the brain of the collective that um you know and and so like you know when you know if you impact enough individuals you will then create a new majority so you are mm -hmm. interacting with mm -hmm. your culture and society at large through you know from what is being channeled through that individual mm -hmm. and so you know as therapists we interface with that so how do we our, you know how do we define our space like you mm -hmm. know how, how, our, our place in that dialogue how do we know that we're not encouraging conformity or you know like i said like when you know, how do we know when it is appropriate to make those distinctions because like mm -hmm. you know we you know even though we're supposed to go where the client wants us to go we do have our professional judgment as to whether or not that overall is healthy for them. Like mm -hmm. someone, you know, might be perfectly fine binge drinking alcohol every weekend despite their liver problems. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, like, you know, we're sympathetic to whatever makes that person happy, but us as, you know, well-being professionals, we at least should be able to push back on that going, okay, I can see how that benefits you, but here are some considerations for you to make that choice. But how do we know that that's a problem? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. From what moral system do we draw from to decide, okay, there's that line? Because if it's all subjective, if it's, oh, you know, everyone gets to where they're going in their own time and it has to make sense to them. And and again, it's, you, you know, I guess you're appropriating from that Christian perspective of, you know, let he who was, let he who was without sin cast the first stone, as in we're too imperfect in ourselves to be able to judge accurately or purely. Mm -hmm. But that taken to its moral relativist, relativist uh, God dang it, 
it's early in Australia. Um, taken to its moral relativistically, well, taken to its furthest extent, um, then there is no standards. Yeah, because yeah. you know, like, oh, that person you know, likes this de- degenerate behavior. Yeah, it might be immoral, but that's their expression of reality, and they will, you know, kind of like you know, mm-hmm. like with a regular addiction like smoking or drinking that person has to come out of it at their own time mm-hmm. um you know when they're ready and you can apply that same logic to misbehavior or degeneracy mm-hmm. of oh like that person is just into that thing because you know that's just their process mm-hmm. so again like you know and and, and I actually again I, I followed on from this and like i did think about it in that i do think moral morality is subjective Mm-hmm. um and i think i wrote um one assertion is that all morality is subjective according to the perspective respective culture and personal values so that's on the broader level or on the individual level uh for example you know human sacrifice is a sacred ritual in one society but a violation in another so one society thinks like you know the execution of a human being is perfectly legitimate um you know the the benefits outweigh the costs and others think it's deplorable mm-hmm. um however I would argue that misguidedness does not replace virtuousness in that, yes, it might make sense to sacrifice that person, but we also know that the loss of a loved one or like a friend, brother, sister, daughter to that sacrifice is distressing and mm-hmm. distress leads to breakdown. Like, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a society that's a death cult can't perpetuate because they're all dead. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, you know, even though the, that action feels good, the, carry on consequences of just continuing that that practice in itself has deterioration effects therefore it i would say that implies a morality of we know like you know the, the mechanics of our existence let's say you know we, we have the ability to feel pain we have the ability to feel pleasure as in there's already inbuilt rules that tell us go do this don't do that there's an agenda mm-hmm. in, in, in the way life is designed and i wrote that like the, the mythical structures, well, again, borrowing the term mythology from Rollo May because he's a big fan of that, you know, mythical structures meaning the meta narratives that we lend to how we make sense of our world. And you know, it could be religion, it could be something else. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that is most accurate and closest to the objective morality is the one that probably works the best. Not to say that it's the most long-lasting, because again, a, you know, a more rabid uh, rabbits like um group of people can easily wipe out say pacifists mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean the pacifists are wrong like it doesn't but their quality of life over time might be better or that i or that set of ideas might endure longer than something more like that is further away from that objective morality um and i think it's to that foundation that therapists should anchor themselves if if we can find it right so, I think that's a fascinating exploration and I'm I'm really <laughs> happy that you brought that topic up because it's one that I'm really interested in and yeah. and uh yeah I think that you raised a couple of things that you framed in a new way for me and uh, I'm looking forward to actually listening to this back so that I can think about those more so thank you so much and thanks for for getting up so early to have this conversation <laughs> with me mm-hmm. and is there is there anything that you'd like to suggest 
as a, a reference for people, do you have anywhere that you're writing online that you'd like to direct people if they'd like to read some of your writing or are you on Twitter or anything like that? Any links? Um, not at this point. I'm, I'm still just a, you know, random person in a small town um, at this point. But, um, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of value out of the essays I've written, especially because, like, you know, like, I was thinking a lot about, again, how our conversation would potentially flow. And, you know, I, I wanted to give respectable answers and actually, like, you know, flush out what I, what I was expecting to say. And, um, and and I've been wanting to write for a while. And, you know, this experience kind of affirmed that. So I'm hoping eventually to start doing more of that. But, you know, there is a hesitancy because like it's not exactly like, you know, evidence-based it's more just philosophical and speculative and like i've said plenty of times in this i'm not pretending anything i you know saying is in reality or makes sense or is, is historically or scientifically or psychologically accurate um it's just borrowing different frameworks and terminologies to motivate extra like you know different thoughts and playing with that but you know if it changes and moves that's perfectly fine i think there's um, a lot of value in that what you're talking about you're talking about yeah. trusting your and exploring your your moral intuition mm. and that's something that obviously we've seen there's been a big breakdown in that mm. over the last several years as all of these authoritarian ideologies have have crept in mm. and we see people struggling so much mm. wrestling with their internal convictions versus what they're being pressured mm -hmm. to do on the outside and so going back in and exploring those mm -hmm. that that intuition and that that mm -hmm. philosophical underpinning is what mm -hmm. you're describing i don't think that that's yeah. that's i think that's a very valuable thing to be spending time exploring and it, it, it yeah. even if it's not scientific or evidence-based mm -hmm. there's there's significant value in mm -hmm. that kind of work yeah, I, I like just as you're saying that I can tell I have about another hour's worth of dialoguing I can do on that. But you know, for respect to your time, I you know I can keep a pin in it for now. But um, yeah. I, well, maybe we can do a part two sometime. That'd be really fun. I would look forward to it. I have been bit like this was kind of slapdash because trying to record a decent video when the sun hasn't come up yet, it's hard <laughs> to make everything look decent. So hopefully next time we'll be a bit more prepared. Oh no, it's, next it's really awesome. I'm. Very grateful for your perspective and for you sharing your time with me. Thank you. I really appreciate your like your, your inquiry to, like I said, you know, the self perception of just some random in the emails and like you, you never know when you reach out to someone. It's like, you know, it's like, does this does this person have like a million of you know people trying to like you know claw their way into their attention, or well, you just never know how you come across. And, and you I can tell spam. by how terrible my my correspondence yeah. is right now. I'm pretty swamped, but I'm glad you. The you you know we had a good dialogue and i thought you'd have some interesting things to say and you certainly do so thank the, you for the, the, being persistent the, the the lapse in the admin standards i suppose made me feel much better about myself so it, it paid off in the end <laughs> <laughs> well excellent thank you so much again keanu my pleasure anytime